0: So as you may have been able to tell, right, the Christmas season is finally upon us. Um, The last several years, I think probably because of COVID and everything else, it's been hard for me to get excited about Christmas. I I love Christmas. I'm a Christmas guy, but it's been hard to get excited about Christmas in the last couple of years. But this year, um, I was one of those who around August the 1st, I was ready for Christmas. Um, I contained myself, I held it in, um, but I was ready for it. And so, uh, I hope you're ready for it. I hope you're ready for this series that we're um, coming into um, over the next uh, several weeks um, as we uh, prepare ourselves uh, for the Advent. The the season that we're in is called Advent, and what's the word Advent mean? It means arrival, right? So we're in a season of arrival, of preparing for the arrival of of Christ. It's this amazing thing that we get to do every year. Well, yes, Christ came 2,000 years ago. He also comes again every year for us in this very real way here in this Advent season. And so, you know, the holiday season with the with the the, the tinsel and the trees and the lights and the treats and the cookies and the pies and the... Okay, I'll, go, I'll stop there. Uh, but it can easily distract us from what really matters, what the heart of Christmas is about. And what the heart of Christmas is about is the Christ child, Jesus, God in the flesh who came to dwell among us. And so during this season, during this series, we're going to be looking at how hope, peace, joy, and love are at the heart of Christmas. And this morning, we're, we are looking at at hope. You know, Christmas is a time of hope. Um, I don't know if any of you live in a family like the one I grew up in where on a regular basis my mother and I would catch my father under the tree going. But, but there's, this, there's this anticipation, right? There's this hopeful anticipation. I don't know if any of you do Christmas lists, right? But you do a list for folks and you put stuff on the list because it's the stuff that you would kind of like to have. And, and so there's this hope that you're actually going to get the things that you put on on your list, right? I know many of us probably experienced that as children while we were waiting so desperately for Santa to bring us that Red Ryder carbine BB gun that we wanted so desperately badly. I got it the Christmas of my third grade year, and let me tell you, Black Bart never stood chance. But the real reason for hope at the heart of Christmas is not because of gifts or family or Christmas music or lights or food or any of that sort of stuff. As awesome and amazing and wonderful as all of that stuff is, the hope that's at the heart of Christmas is because of the birth of Jesus Christ. Because his arrival on earth was the fulfillment of a prophecy spoken hundreds of years before his arrival. This is one of the most well-known Scripture passages shared during this time of year. And I'm sure you all know it. We are in Isaiah, the ninth chapter. We're going to be starting with the first verse and reading through verse 7. Will you stand with me as we read God's Word together? Oftentimes this reading starts at verse 2. But we're starting at verse 1 so we can set the stage a little bit. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressors, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord, of the Yahweh of armies, will accomplish this. This is the word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let's pray. Dear gracious God, as we continue this morning in our worship of you, I just pray that you would stir up the hope that is at the heart of Christmas, that you would stir it up in us, God, so that we could could grasp onto it not only for ourselves, but so that we could share it with the people around us. May we see the, the promises that you have made are promises fulfilled and promises kept. Amen. You may be seated. So Isaiah is writing this around seven hundred and forty years before the birth of Christ. That's a long, that's a long time, y'all. That's a long time. 740 years ago, uh, well, let's, let's say 800 because I'm bad at math. That was the 1200s. That was the Middle Ages. Think about everything that's happened in that time period. And remember that Isaiah is writing that far before the birth of Christ. And the context of Isaiah's writing, as we saw there in verse 1, is the poor leadership that the people of Israel are experiencing. The poor leadership from their kings, they've been suffering through the reigns of four ungodly kings in a row. Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Four bad kings just right there in a row. They were corrupt, and they had led the people far from God. It was a dark time in the history of the people of Israel. As we saw there in verse 1, Right, gloom was on the land why we started with that first verse, so that we can really see what's happening and and the context where Isaiah speaks these words of hope. And so Isaiah brings this prophecy from the Lord at this time, knowing that God would have to intervene to bring Israel back to himself. God's going to have to intervene to get Israel out of the gloom and the darkness that they are in. The kingdom was crumbling and the people needed hope. I don't know about you, but after the last week, I'm feeling the gloom. We had a a shooting at Walmart in Chesapeake, Virginia. And then on Friday, we had a shooting at the Walmart in Lumberton, North Carolina. I don't know what they were arguing over, but a 40-inch TV or the latest Air Fryer or the newest Tickle Me Elmo is not worth shooting somebody. And yet that's where we are. We, we are in a time of, of gloom. I feel that way sometimes. What we see here in Isaiah is Isaiah is speaking to the people, speaking to the people in in a kingdom that was crumbling, speaking to a people who were far from God, speaking to a people who had lost hope, speaking to a people who had been led astray by generations of poor leadership. Isaiah makes two powerful major statements. First, Isaiah acknowledges the brokenness and the darkness that surrounds Israel and points out that it is due to sin and corruption. He doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't say, well, maybe if they had been born in better families. Maybe if, maybe if, their, if their kindergarten teacher had just hugged them one more time he acknowledges that the root of the problem of the people was spiritual. It was sin and separation from God. The second point that Isaiah makes is that the hope of a dawning light through the birth of a child would one day make all things right. Now here's the thing. If you are living in the year 740 and you see everything that's going on around you, and Isaiah, a known, acknowledged prophet of God, shows up and says, a son will be born for you, a child will be given, you're going to be like, all right, great, bet, win. But the people had to wait 740 years for the arrival of Jesus. Jesus. But what they were is they were words to God's people to remind them that even in the midst of the gloom, even in the midst of the darkness and the sin and the corruption, that God had not forgotten about them. We see these words repeated, reminded of these words in the book of Matthew. Matthew is making a connection with what Isaiah had prophetically written and what was to take place in this manger in Bethlehem. His angel comes to Joseph, to the betrothed of Mary. And Joseph is not happy that Mary has turned up pregnant, and so he's thinking about quietly divorcing her, walking away. And an angel comes to Joseph and, and tells him not to do that, to go forward. Matthew 1:22 and 23 says this Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet See the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel which is translated God with us These these events took place to fulfill prophecy in the Old Testament to fulfill these promises of God that there would be a child born as light in the darkness and a hope not just for God's chosen people, but for all people. For all will be able to be chosen by God and grafted into God's family. The child would be named Emmanuel, God with us, God present with us. But here's the thing, the presence of darkness threatens our hope. The presence of darkness threatens our hope. The center of the Christmas story is focused squarely on the birth of Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the Israelites' hope that God would push back the darkness and shine a bright light out into the world. I think one of the reasons that Christmas resonates in our heart, and Christmas even resonates with those who are not believers they still put up Christmas trees and put lights in their windows and lights on their houses. And, and the reason it resonates with us is because deep in their hearts, they know that our world is dark and corrupt, that sin so easily entangles everything. They know, they look around, they read the news, they see that there is war and disease and conflict and oppression all around us. And they understand that they need a light to beat back the darkness. And so on this deep, primal level, they're responding to that. They just don't know that the light is not a light that gets plugged into the outlet. But it's a light that came in the form of a baby. Christmas is a reminder for us who are believers and a time for us to remind those in our lives who are not that whatever it is that we hope for in our lives, whether it's healing or restoration or forgiveness or just a fresh start, that it's available to us in the most perfect, complete way, available to us through God who is with us. See, hope is not the result of an absence of conflict or difficulty or struggle or trial. Hope is the result of the presence of God. Because God's presence has come to give us hope. The hard part about hope is that it often takes longer than we would like to be fulfilled. 740 years, anybody? It requires patience. I am not a patient person. The candy aisle right next to the cashier at the grocery store was made for me. If you've ever worked retail, you know that little stuff they have right there at the register. is called the impulse purchase. Or the impulse counter. Me. I'm terrible. I'm terrible at patients. I'm getting better. Isn't it amazing what a toddler will do for the growth of your patients? I'm getting better, but I'm not a terribly patient person. I definitely don't have 740 years of patience. Every now and then, God and I get into it, and I'm like, all right, it's time, bud. Let's get the show on the road. Let's go. People are dying, people are hurting. Do you know how sick I am of hearing the word cancer? Let's go get it on. That's not the way God works. You've got to have patience as God fulfills his plan. It's like, it's like growing something. I'm, I'm a terrible gardener because I want to plant a seed in the ground and get tomatoes tomorrow. It doesn't work that way, does it? In order to get the good fruit the good vegetables, you got to let it grow. you got to give it time. It's, it's, it's got to grow. Just like that, some of the greatest answers to our hoping and longing take time and patience in order to see the full beauty of God's design unfold. Isaiah saw that one day in the future, God would bring a great light and salvation through the birth of a child. And 740 years later, a baby arrived that offers forgiveness of sin, the destruction of evil, and the promise of eternal life. So why do, we, why do we read this, this passage from Isaiah 9? Why do we read it every year during Christmas? I think it's because seeing the faithfulness of God in the past gives us a deep and abiding hope in the present and an unwavering trust in the future. If God's fulfilled his promises once, he'll fulfill his promises again. Paul talks about this in Romans, Romans fifteen four. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance. That's another way of saying patience. Through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. Paul saying that everything that was written in the past, all of the prophecy and fulfillment, is meant to teach us how to hold on to faith in God to answer our prayers. What has been written gives us endurance and encouragement that we might have hope into the future. It's important that we revisit Isaiah and we revisit the prophetic words of the Old Testament and the fulfillment that comes with the birth of Jesus because it does tell us that God can be trusted to come through and meet us in our greatest time of need. It can make those of us who are looking at our watches saying, All right, bud, when are you going to come? To remember that it's not about us, it's not about our time, that it's about Him and His time. Because at the heart of Christmas, as I said this before, I'll say it again, at the heart of Christmas is hope. There are so many distractions during the Christmas season. The message that hope is offered through Jesus' arrival at the manger, should be a rock that you can rest on. I read a story this week about a a woman. I I think James Dobson told this story several times. There was a woman, and it was her first Christmas without her husband. Her husband had died just just a couple of weeks before Christmas. He had known that he was going to die. He had had cancer, and he knew it was coming. And... They had always been a big Christmas family, and so she hadn't gotten anything out. She was sitting at home, alone, in the dark. No tree, no lights, no Advent wreath, nothing. There was no reason to decorate for Christmas. And right before, right before Christmas, a knock comes at the door, and she goes, and it's a delivery guy. And he asks, will you sign for this package? And she goes, I didn't order anything. And he goes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I don't care if you ordered it or not. I'm supposed to deliver it to you. You got to sign for it. Will you sign it? And she goes, What is it? And he opens the flap and it's a golden retriever puppy. And she goes, I, No! I didn't get a golden retriever puppy. What are you talking about? What? Why? And he goes, Well, someone got it for you. She goes, Who? Your husband. Months before. He had died, but knowing that he was going to die, he had gone to the breeder back in the summer and arranged for this puppy to be delivered to his wife, knowing that he would probably not be there. And he had a note, and he left a note with it, and the note told her that the puppy was a gift from him to remember to remember him, to remember that there are always those around. Now, when he bought that puppy, he didn't know what was going to happen. And she didn't know. But as the delivery driver drove off and as she pulled him out of the box and as she held him up, his little fuzzy puppy-smelling self up to her neck, She said, you know what, it's just you and me. But there's a box down in the basement that I bet you'd like. It's got a Christmas tree in it and some decorations and some lights that are going to impress you. Let's go get it. Her husband knew what she was going to need. Because he loved her and he had spent time with her. Likewise, God knows what we need. He can be trusted to reveal the light of Christ in order to push back the darkness in our lives. In a land full of deep darkness, a light has indeed dawned. I want to invite you to express your hope in God this morning by bringing Him the things that are heavy on your heart. As they get ready to come up and lead us In our last hymn, I'm going to pray. And as I begin our prayer together, and then I'm going to offer you a moment of silence to speak to God, and then I'll close us in prayer, and then we will sing. And we will sing about the darkness of the world and the light that has come in it to overcome. Will you join me as we pray? Father God, we come to you this morning in need of hope hope that you are faithful and have provided all that we need by sending your son to us. We ask that the light of his life would shine into our lives and lift our heads. Father God, we offer to you the areas in our lives where we need your presence. Today, we we trust you with our very lives. And we look forward to the fulfillment of your promises. God, thank you for the hope that can only come from you. And from your son, Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you for showing us the heart of Christmas. Amen.